Singing Dutchman Productions. Hello and welcome to Doug's Front Porch, a podcast where I get to sit down with friends, old and new, and have honest conversations. Today I welcome Ryan Veltry to the front porch, uh, a friend and a colleague, and I'm so glad that you said, you know what, Doug, let's do this. So welcome to the front porch, Ryan. Hey, thanks for having me, Doug. I really appreciate it. So before we, I, I always start each episode kind of the same way to give the audience a little bit of a background, but you tell us, if you would, please, a little bit about, so where did you grow up and childhood stuff? Did you have siblings? What were you into as a kid? That type of stuff. Sure. I, uh, I grew up in Sussex, New Jersey. Um, which people are always like, oh, you live in Jersey, so you're a city kid. Uh, but I grew up in the Delaware Water Gap area. So highest point, New Jersey. And uh, if you go straight, you hit New York State. If you make a left, you hit uh, PA. So we grew up in a in an area that geographically looks really like Block Haven. Um, small town, a lot of farms. And then the Appalachian Mountains kind of sit on the top, which is really awesome. So five state parks, and uh, we lived where High Point State Park was, which is the highest point in New Jersey. Um, so we were a bunch of farmers and uh, mountain people, and uh, all of our parents drove to the city for work. Um, so that's kind of the, the situation that we had there. But it was a great community of people, real close-knit community, uh, great people. Everybody kept an eye out for everybody, um, and it was a, a great place to grow up. Uh, I grew up with five, there was five kids, uh, one, one girl who was the oldest and then four boys, uh, with a single parent. So my mom raised us. My, my father had walked out, um, on us when my youngest was born. So I was about seven and, uh, my mom is a phenomenal lady. She is a, she's one of my best friends. Um, she lives with me now. I don't know how we did that. Um, but she, uh, she raised five kids on her own and did a, a great job trying to keep us busy and keep us out of trouble and uh, pretty lucky. Can I ask you a follow-up question about that? So yeah. um, looking back on it now, I mean, at the time, uh, I'm sure it was a different view than what you have now as an adult, as a parent yourself. How do you think your mom did it? That's a lot. Five kids, single yes. parent. What about her? So what about her do you think really – really allowed her to do that. And then looking back on it now, what are the qualities and traits that you think you took away from that as you are now a dad? Yeah, she, uh, she is one of the, the strongest willed people I know. She grew up in Brooklyn and, uh, she, she credits that as, you know, her being tough. Um, she loved sports as a, as a young girl and, and really during that time they didn't allow girls to play, but she said if she would have been able to play, uh, she would have been the greatest softball player of all time. Um, she used to tell us stories about climbing into uh, the Brooklyn Dodgers, okay, their stadium before, you know, y Yankees and Mets and everybody else, um, sneaking into their stadium to watch games. So, um, but she was tough. She was the mama bear. She she took care of us. She didn't, um, she didn't really allow people to talk about our situation and what we were going through because back then it was, you know, single family wasn't looked upon as anything that was, you know, really proud, um, hard work, dedication to family, lots of love, um, made, made you as a child, made me feel like I was important. 
um, and that I was special and that when I needed her the most, she was there for me. And she would say, whoever needed me the most, that was who I put my attention to. Um, so she was um, phenomenal back then. She was a cheerleader for us on, so she'd come to our soccer games and scream at referees and she'd slam the mat and at tournaments, you know, during wrestling days. But, um, she was, she just had a really special heart and, uh, there are not too many people that could say that they dislike her cause she was a great person is a great person. Yeah. Right, right, right. Um, we're going to come back to this topic, but you, you already talked about it a little bit. So as a kid growing up, you, I take it, you played soccer, huh? Um, yeah, that was my thing. So what was it about that sport that drew you instead of Little League Baseball or football or or something else? Yeah, I don't know. I think it was because there were times it could be individual. Um, I remember at four years old, there was a, a tryout across the street from my neighborhood and uh, at, at the local elementary school. And they said, tryouts for soccer, come and play. And I fell in love with it. And, you know, whether I had a group of people around that wanted to play or it was by myself juggling in my front yard, there was always a soccer ball. Um, and I just loved it. I don't know why I tried baseball, um, you know, and I wrestled and I, I did some other things, but soccer for me was just kind of my outlet and I put all my energy into it. And I really, really, I loved watching it. I loved going to practice. I loved playing it. I loved being by myself and, you know, juggling. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Sometimes you can't explain it, right? Sometimes it just, it's something just talks to you in a certain way that other things don't. Right. Um, so let's fast forward a little bit. You graduate high school and you end up making the trek to Lock Haven university. Can I ask you what brought you from Northern New Jersey to central Pennsylvania? Well, my, my trip into college was a weird one. I wanted to go to Lock Haven. Um, and I wanted to go anywhere outside of my, my area. And, you know, out of state was awesome for me. I, I thought that's great. I had, uh, unfortunately, my mom didn't think it was a great idea because there was local colleges who were offering me a lot of money um, to come and play and, you know, offer me scholarships that I, that I probably shouldn't have turned down. But as a kid growing up, you know, I wanted to be a professional soccer player. I was nowhere near good enough to be a professional soccer player. Um, I was lucky I could, you know, I had a right foot and a left foot, but I was not good enough. But th the idea of being that, that was always my goal. And so going on visits, you know, being told things by coaches, you, you start to believe things. And, and unfortunately, I fell into a trap at first where I went to visit a school in Massachusetts. It was a small school, three exits down from New England Patriot Stadium. MLS was kind of getting a good start. And they say, well, New England Revolution will be around. You can try out for them. They'll come scout games, you know, all these things to kind of lure you in. And so I, I bit the apple and I thought, this is great. I'm going to go. And I, and I did, I tried out for uh, new England revolution and there was probably a thousand of us there and I got a nice t-shirt for it. And that was a pat on the back. And, and I realized, yeah, this is not going to happen. Um, so lock Haven was always on the radar. Lenny long, probably one of the greatest coaches around um, had brought his, his team to my high school for camps. They were, he was good friends with my head coach, Bill Bauer. And um, so they would come to us or we would come up to lock Haven and you kind of fall into that as well. So um, I remember talking to Rob Thompson, who at the, at the time was the assistant coach at Lock Haven. And I said, I, I want to come there. He did everything he could. And then I wound up here um, in, in little Lock Haven. And I have not left. And it's been a great time uh, being here. And, and playing for Lock Haven was probably one of my greatest um, achievements, I would say. 
That's awesome. So at some point in your career at LHU, when you weren't playing soccer, you had to decide on what you wanted to study. Um, did you go in declared or did you go in undeclared? Uh, how, how did I you... made it. It was a nightmare of what I did. So this this also gets my mom, my mom's blood boiling. I went in uh, to the first school I went to. It was called Dean College. I went in as a um, athletic trainer or sports management or some sort. Um, I kind of messed around with that a little bit. I then changed it the second year I was there to sports management only. Um, and then I changed the phys ed, uh, health and phys ed, uh, the second semester. I, I was just trying everything. Um, and then when I transferred, I transferred into the health and phys ed um, program here at Lock Haven. And prior to block your professional semester, um, I decided I was going to change my major once again. I just finished playing and realized I did not want to be a health and phys ed teacher. I kind of figured uh, I should probably make up my mind now what I want to do for the rest of my life. Uh, and and special ed was always something that I really enjoyed um, working with that population of kids. My mom had uh, had done that. So I had the experience in high school and working with those those kids. And I really enjoyed it. And I thought, you know what? I did everything I could not to be special education teacher, but I think that's kind of my my route. And that's, I changed my major and put in some extra time and wind up graduating in it. And then I think it was the best option. So that, that kind of transitions us into, so we work together uh, at the same high school and actually we can, fa we can rewind back to LHU days because we had, we had a lot of mutual friends. Uh, between, I was really good friends with quite a number of the boys and girls soccer players. And I'm sure that we partied multiple times at the same parties and didn't necessarily get to know each other in that sense, right. the way that we do now, but we've been colleagues now for quite a number of years. And I mean, I don't want to talk too much shop, but I think it's important to talk a little bit of shop because I love hearing from other people's perspectives especially those in the trenches and trying to let people that listen to this podcast that have you know their only experience of school is maybe when they were a student and for some of those people it's 20 30 years ago and so much has changed and particularly in the field that you're in um in special ed so let's let's just talk a little bit of shop and then we'll move on to something else but um so you went in as a special ed you know you were special ed major you graduated with your special ed degree um at that point were did you have a an a, a desire to either specifically do elementary or high school or middle school, or were you like, I'll take whatever job I can get? Yeah. So my degree actually is no longer available. It was a K through 12. Um, so they no longer do that. And so when I went through that program, I had access to all of those. So I did a placement in elementary. I did a middle school placement. I did a high school placement. Um, and I liked them all. I mean, everyone I went into, I really, really enjoyed. So at, the point where I was ready to graduate, I was like, give me whatever. I just kind of want to get my hands in into the profession and get started. Um, yeah. And so I wound up getting pretty lucky. I had graduated in December on uh, about halfway through and knew of a positioning, opening up a Keystone that was a half year program or a half year position. Um, so upon graduation, I knew I was getting a half year position in a learning support high school program. Um, and so I was pretty excited about that. And, and, you know, was happy to work with the high school level because um, that was my last two placements when I was student teaching. So um, at this point, so if I were to rewind the clock, I don't know if I could ever do elementary. I mean, there's no way because um, I've been with the high school program now for like 20 years. But to to go back and do elementary now, I think I would be I would never be able to handle it. So 
Uh, I guess high school would have been my, my, the one and only also, I think partly because of coaching. Um, so to be around those, those kids all day long and then to see them in, uh, out on the fields and in other activities and stuff. So that kind of was a interest of mine. I, we're going to talk about coaching here in a little bit, but I want to stay on this topic for just a little bit more. So uh, you started out as a uh, as kind of like a well, you had um, so high school special ed, but special ed 20 years ago is so different from what it is today. I'm sure yeah. Uh, yeah. if you were talking to somebody that had no idea what we're talking about and you had to say, hey, man, in the 20 years that I've been doing this. These are some of the biggest changes, like two or three. What do you, you know, looking back over 20 years of teaching special ed, what do you think are two or three of the biggest changes that have occurred to where we are today in 2023? Well, one of the biggest, and, and you probably hear this every day talking to uh, the people that we work with, is that paperwork piece. Um, so paperwork has changed. It's been crazy because back in the day we had this might date us, but we had those carbon paper where you'd write everything out um, and then it would make three copies and you would hand those out. So the ability to have technology and computers and to be able to share things um, is probably one of the biggest changes that we see when it comes to that, th that situation. Uh, the kids um, back in the day, when, when I first started, they were all, uh, they were not included out with the general population. So there were kids that were in, a resource room all day long. Um, and you know, they, every year you kind of saw them paired with the same group of kids and they went from one room to the next. Sometimes they stayed in the same room for half a day. Um, and you know, typically you never really saw those kids outside of the, the, the classroom or in the general population, except for maybe a lunch and you know, your art and your music and those elective classes. Um, so that's a, that was a big change. Um, and then, they started talking about inclusion and getting the, those kids into the regular ed classes. And we started to see a transition of co-taught classes. Um, and that's evolved from the beginning where it, it does not look the same today. So thank, thank goodness, because it was really not an effective way to, to support the kids that were in those types of classes. When you say the paperwork, can you please just let my audience have a general idea? I mean, I know from talking and working with with special ed teachers, but I think the average person has no idea. So you teach your whole, you know, you teach a normal day. And then when you say, well, there's paperwork, what does that mean? The paperwork is the extra added bonus of IEPs and NORUPS and, you know, packets for procedural safeguards and reevaluations and evaluation reports and documentation of the meetings and documentations of conversations with parents and documentation of conversations with kids and teachers and, you know, check in, check out sheets and all of these things that, you know, we have constant, we're constantly writing things down um, with the idea that it's supposed to support that individual kiddo. And sometimes it works to our advantage and and other times we don't do it effective enough and we're just chasing paperwork. And unfortunately, that's been a big thing for special education and, and you know, the colleagues that I have in that department, you know, it runs us pretty tired and a lot of people burn out because of it. And unfortunately, the attention then isn't on the students. It's more on completing the paperwork. Can we take a minute too and talk about your current teaching situation? You currently sure. have a classroom of how would you explain what you do to somebody that doesn't know anything about special ed jargon and all those all those acronyms that are out there? I'm full-time emotional support. So my kiddos are in my room uh, all day long. 
what we do is we bring teachers in to teach content. Um, and really what the focus for our kids is um, what we call positive relationships and creating positive relationships, um, finding as many positive opportunities as possible because the students have a lot of emotional um, needs. And that could that could be from their home life or situations that are occurring. Um, some would put them in, in a situation where they're the bad kids, but um, you know, that's not always the case. They just have a lot of things going on, you know, in their day to day that, you know, the general population of kids don't have um, and the support that those kids have. Um, so it's rough. Um, it's not an easy day. Um, I've got a fantastic individual that works with me every day, Katie. Um, she's phenomenal with the kids and she's there all day with me. Um, and I'm so very grateful for her and her work with those kiddos, but, um, it's about building relationships and, you know, but, but Ryan, I, I get all that, but I have to ask you from an honest perspective, you're working with some kids that if you ask them to pick up a pencil or, Hey, how was your day? They could turn around and completely blow up on you and swear and call you every name under the sun. How do you get up every day and constantly go in and do it? Because from my perspective, I know some of those kids you're working with day in and day out. And I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. Those are the kids that I try to avoid. Yeah. Be and, and I'm not alone. I mean, maybe it's bad for me to say that out loud, but it's true. And But yet you come in somehow every day you get up and, and maybe it's really hard. I'm sure it is. It has to be. But to get told off or to say, you know, F you, Mr. Veltri, or this or that, how do you do it? How do you do it? It's a good question. I, you know, honestly, I, you know, you are a fantastic German teacher. You work with some phenomenal kids. Um, and I am very grateful for what you do in your classroom. You are, you know, a great friend in that. And I, I applaud you. I, I, I don't know. I, th these kiddos, they need someone. Um, and my, my comment is I'm not leaving them. I'm not walking out. They're stuck with me. Um, you know, some days are harder than others. And, and, you know, we know when it's not going to be a good day, but I don't know, you just smile and, you know, they're not, they're, they might be swearing at me and telling me off. And there's times where I laugh because it is funny only because I know that, that they're doing it because I'm willing to listen and they need it. And, you know, if that's going to take them five minutes of threatening me or telling me off or swearing at me and making fun of me uh, and that gets them to cool off and move on. I'm okay with that. Um, I don't know. I, I, you know, you like them and you know, they're bad, you know, they do the, they do wrong things, but I'm always going to give them a second chance because, you know, I am there every day. I see things that are way different than what everybody else sees. And there's were baby steps, but those steps are huge. And I'm, I'm very proud of some of the things that they've done and, you know, things that they've started to do that they wouldn't have done um, in the beginning of the year or last year. And there's this sign outside of our school that says stop. So as we leave every single day, that sign tells me to stop. That's my last thought process of school. If I get home. My wife is a teacher. We do the old, how was your day? Good. How was your day? Good. Every once in a while we have to vent and say, you know, here's a story about this or that, but we leave it at school. Um, and that stop sign is a big sign for me. When I first started, I had that long term, but I was hired as an emotional support teacher. Um, oh. and I spent four years 
with that population and they were tough. And that was back in the day when we would have to restrain and wrestle kids and they would cry at the end of it and I'd be exhausted. But I knew as time went on and those relationships built over those four years, some of those kids I have contact with now, and it's crazy to see where they are and what they've done. Um, Some others haven't made out uh, as well, but yeah, stop sign helps. Um, I'm I'm never going to look at that stop sign the same ever again because I look at it every day too. (laughs) Well, you have to. You have to find a way to just let it go and, you know, leave work where it is. I mean, I've got kids that need to have their time with us and we can't take away um, an opportunity of time to me is important. So that's something I've gotten from my mom. Time is so important. And so time flies by and I, and I refuse to allow things like work kind of get in the way of time and of my life. So yeah, stop sign. That is an important thing that in my 20 plus year career, I have learned, but it came late. Yeah. It was, I mean, if you talk to my wife, she'll tell you, you know, young Doug was working, 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 not always all the time with like schoolwork, but I brought school home Uh, and it's only within the last, I don't know, maybe the second half of my career that I realized the value of doing exactly what you just did. Uh, and I try to tell younger teachers that too, when I talk to them, I'm like, you look, you gotta, you gotta set those boundaries, but it's teaching is so weird in that sense that there's this like, there's outside pressure that, you know, you need to do this amazing job because it's the future of the country, blah, 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 all this stuff we always hear. But at the same time, we're also, we're all just human, right? And we do have lives outside of that building that we have to remember those boundaries. Um, but that stop sign, boy, I'm going to look at it tomorrow and I'm going to think right of you, Ryan. That's- <laughs> yes. Well, and I and I think we have we have people in our building that are doing great things. Um, and our community is wicked lucky for the teachers that are doing and going above and beyond. And I am grateful for many, many teachers. Um, and, I, and unfortunately, we get stuck in our own little worlds. And I, I just hope that more people will ask each other how they're doing and, and look after each other because that's important. Amen. Amen. Uh, well, I want to transition to something that we started talking about, but we're gonna come back to it. So soccer was such a huge part of your life growing up and then in college. And, and then you had the opportunity to coach, uh, and you're currently the girls coach at our, at the high school where we teach. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about that. What do you enjoy about coaching over playing? Well, it took me a really long time to get over that playing piece. Um, as a coach, Holy smokes, I was, uh, in the first couple of years, I was still a player, and um, it took a really long time to transition out of that. Um, I was lucky enough to take a bunch of co- uh, coaching courses through uh, the NSCA, which is now something totally different, um, and it really taught me to look at um, how to how to look like a coach and how to act like a coach. But I love the day-to-day. I love getting to practice. I love drawing up a session. I love talking to the coaches about the session and what we want to look at. I love getting there and seeing the kids out, uh, getting ready and, and coming out one by one and talking to them about their school day. I love getting out on the field and getting them all together and, and you know, having a quick laugh before the, you know, the warm up. And I love planning sessions um, in that environment. I, I could spend all day uh, doing those things because it's just, it's something that I really love. But the energy that the kids bring is what I, I really enjoy. Every one of them is different and they're there for a different reason. Um, I always say soccer brought us together, um, but we're here and we become friends for whatever reason. And it's something really, really special. Um, But they, 
that program means a lot to me and I'm really, really happy to be a part of it again. So I have, I have two follow-up questions in regards to that. First off, you're coaching girls and you're not a girl, Ryan. What, what does, what hurdles did you have to overcome to do that job, to, to connect with young teenage girls? We know all of the things and the pressures that are put on girls and, and everything that, you know, at that age in life. And then you step in as a male figure on the soccer field, trying to coach them. What hurdles did you learn to have to overcome? And maybe ones that are still barriers to you. Yeah. I mean, I would say my, my first run with the girls program, I probably didn't think about too much uh, of making them different than boys. Um, we had some unbelievable athletes and some phenomenal soccer players, and we just focused on soccer. But after um, coming back and spending some time away and evaluating, I realized uh, there's a real big emotional piece to the girl side of the game. Um, they want to feel valued and appreciated. They want to hear that they're doing well. And, um, you know, I guess um, being raised by a mother who cared for her family and my older sister, who was a second mother to us, um, I didn't have that male kind of dominance growing up of, you know, barking and yelling at me. And even the coaches that I had, I had some phenomenal coaches, some very well-known coaches um, that have done some great things with U.S. soccer and beyond that spoke to us like we were not necessarily peers, but we were you know, in there for a job and what we had to do. And, and so the girls game, they'll do anything for you. Um, they're different than boys. Boys will say, I could do that. You know, I could do that better than you. And girls are going to say, you know, I will, I will do whatever you ask me to do as much as I possibly can. And I will bend over backwards to help to, to please you. Um, but their spirit and their excitement and the way that they like to, enjoy their time together is, is a lot of fun. And I'm very lucky to have some great female coaches, all alumni at Central Mountain working with me, Morgan, Morgan Walker, uh, Lauren Heimer, Courtney Fornwall, or now Courtney Yorchak and uh, Jonna Harris, who's Jonna Garbrick, um, who have always pulled me aside and said, you got to think about it this way. And you listen to them because they were all in the trenches and they all know very, very well what it's like to be in the girl's shoes so that emotional thing though is, is huge and they they ride that that wave very very big so here's the million dollar question for you as a coach how do you build a team yeah that's tough um because we're doing that now first of all you got to build a culture you've got to build uh, an environment that people want to be a part of and a family atmosphere that the kids believe that they're there for a reason uh, and you got to start with the youth programs and build your way up. Um, right now, I'm doing it the opposite way because I was gone for a while. So now I had to do top to bottom. But we're starting to get there. Um, and and back in the day, when you look at what the girls program did and how successful they were, that success was way off the field. Um, and they were doing great things in the community and in the classroom and, you know, coming back to the community and doing wonderful things. And there's a lot of girl soccer players on that hall of fame wall. I just want to give a shout out to that. Um, but you've got to build a community and you've got to create an atmosphere where they want to come and play, that they like to come and play, um, that they feel that they're supported and that you believe in them. And um, you've got to coach them 
um, the right way. You've got to treat them the right way. And, and then eventually you have the, the older girls who become mentors and are great ambassadors for the sport and they are great leaders and you put them in front of some of those little girls. And next thing you know, they are, um, they're famous and it's a beautiful thing, but it's not easy. Um, I, back in the day we were there and, um, it was a, a fine oiled machine. And now you see softball is doing a phenomenal job. Volleyball had a great season this year. Um, so you look at those programs and you see what those coaches are doing and you, and you ask them questions and you say, how do we get there? Um, but youth sports is a big one. Okay. That was, I, I had a question about that, that I wanted to ask you from your perspective, you know, youth sports in America is massive all these travel teams now and kids, to, you know, back in the day when we were kids, I think the majority of us, our only opportunity was to play at our, at our school. And that was it, you know, for sports and for most of us anyway. But today, my God, when I look at a lot of the students who I have who are athletes, regardless of the sport, softball, baseball, soccer, football, wrestling, they're on these elite travel teams or maybe not elites, not the right word, but these travel teams. So from your perspective as a high school coach and also as a dad, um, What's your take on youth sports in America today? Oh, we got to get parents away. Uh, okay, yeah. Well, that's something else I was hoping you were going to talk about. I was going to ask you about. You're on the sideline of a high school. We'll come back to that first question. But you're on the sideline, high school soccer game, varsity game. And I hear from a lot of people that um, are refs or umpires about how they, like nobody wants to do this job anymore because parents are over the top. So I'm sure you have experienced that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I have experienced it with high school sports and then club um, club was a little bit different because they were paying us a lot of money and we could just send their kid over and say, if I, if, if you want to see me back in the game, you need to stop screaming at, at the coach. Um, but with high school, it's different. You know, parents are very passionate. Um, you know, some parents come from a sporting background and it might be the wrong sport, but they come from a sporting background and, you know, they want to see their kid do things and, and be awesome. And I just ask that they let us do our job. Referees are going to make mistakes and there'll be times where I let the referees know. Um, but I, we do it in a way that hopefully we don't lose referees and, and those, those officials, because that's starting to happen. They've had enough um, because parents are, are an issue with that, but we see it at every level. So you say youth sports, but that goes all the way up to the U S men's national team. You know, what we're seeing now with, uh, the whole debacle of Greg Berhalter and Claudia Reyna and, and that situation. But back in the day, I would turn around and shrug my shoulders or I'd kind of wave my hands like, it's okay. Um, I don't focus on the parents. Um, and I, I I preach constantly to the kids, pay attention to what we're asking you to do. Um, and, and, you know, to be honest with you, a lot of those kids out in that field do not want to hear their parents scream. They don't like it. They come off the field making comments about it and it affects their play that it, it does not make them better. It really puts them in a shell because now, especially girls, they're embarrassed. They're being singled out. So we call it the grandma effect. When you make a mistake, don't scream because grandma's up there knitting and she'll only hear your mistakes and look up at your mistakes. So, you know, parents aren't helping the situation. If a kid's having a bad game, that doesn't help when mom and dad are screaming or even yelling at the officials. It's embarrassing. It's tough. It is. And, and we've, it seems like we're in this culture right now that that's just the knee jerk reaction for 
youth sports as a whole well professional sports too i mean i've gone to professional sporting events where the the the, the crowd were just complete jackasses i mean it's just like yeah. i don't know i'm hoping that we can kind of maybe turn that around but just back to that one thing do you do you think it's good that we have kids so involved in youth sports like we do right now in our country uh, i think it's good and bad i think um we from the aspect where they're getting training from people who are now professionals is awesome. Um, but when we, when we put people in a bubble and say, only play this sport and, you know, play this sport six or seven days a week and travel here and be on a plane here and do that. I don't think we need it. Um, and I think it's taking kids away from free, free play and free sport. You know, I know our kids aren't outside playing sports. They're inside playing video games or on their phones, making TikToks and whatever else. But if we were to take away that some of that time where kids could go outside and play tag baseball, kickball, whatever it is, ride a bike, go through the woods. That that's also sport that's helping their bodies uh, do other things. And so, you know, I, I was a club coach uh, and I, and I kind of am still, but, and I had a team that was very, very involved and we were traveling all over the place um, but I also wanted them to do other sports and, and I wanted them to not lose sight of high school sports, um, because that's happening in soccer, you know, club teams that are now putting their kids into academies where they're playing all the time and they can't even play high school sports. I think that hurts our programs and it hurts our kids because they're not playing with their childhood friends and there's nothing better than, you know, playing with your, your high school buddies. So youth sports have changed uh, and it's, I think it's more valued around money and building these, these, uh, these programs and these leadest groups that, you know, we study it all the time. As a coach, I talk to all my coaching colleagues and we, we look at all the stats and all the Twitter posts of, you know, the U S men's national team, you know, all the kids who made the youth team are all part of ODP or, you know, the NPL or all these different things that they have out there. And it's not that it's not that mix. It, it, it it can't all come from one group of people. Um, so it is, it's an ugly site and there's a lot of money involved and uh, we're not seeing at the highest levels really in soccer, at least the, the capital gains of that. But who am I to say? No, well, I was curious for your, I mean, you, you're in the trenches. I was just curious yeah. your thoughts on that because I'm not in those trenches, but yet I see it from, from the outside of the bubble looking in and I've thought a lot about it. Um, like where it's going and 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 i don't know i mean i imagine this machine is so big youth sports and these travel teams that it's not you don't see it changing do you no and so here's my perspective my my daughter's playing club um i don't coach them and i typically sit in a corner of the field um, by myself or with my wife or you know typically by myself and i don't say a word um there's no coaching coming from me. I will not coach them in any way because their coaches are taking care of that. And I believe in them and they're phenomenal. Um, and so all the other parents are all grouped together and they're screaming things and saying to my favorite is shoot it right when a kid's about to shoot it. And I said to my kids, if anybody ever did that to you, stop the ball, turn around and shrug your shoulders, you know, like, no, duh, I'm going to shoot it. Like I don't need instruction from you. So I, I watch, and I enjoy watching my kids play a sport that I love. And then when they get in the car, 
I asked them if they had fun. Did you have fun? Did you enjoy your time? Is this worthwhile? And they say yes. And the only time I step in and give any type of comment is when they ask a question. Do you think I should have shot that? Or do you think I should have done this? And and I always ask them, what were your options? What were you thinking at the time? And did you think you made the best choice? Cool. So I don't put much emphasis on coaching them outside of um, their sport in that. If they want to go downstairs, we're building a new facility in my basement, little turf, indoor arena. When they want to come down here and play, hey, we'll play. But um, no other coaching comes from me. Um, and a lot of people say, you're crazy. Why don't you? Um, cause I just like watching my kids and you know, they're not, I hope they don't listen to this, but they're not going to be professional soccer players. So, um, you know, they just need to enjoy their time. And if they get the chance to play in college, that's phenomenal. And if not, you know, there's, there's under 40 leagues and, you know, all those things are out there. So, but youth sports is they're in trouble. We're in trouble. Um, cause I don't see it getting, I don't see it changing because I think that the, the, the big powerhouses have the, enough control over things that they'll just keep generating new ideas and new thoughts. And, you know, you have to keep up with everyone and, and you really don't, um, I don't know how it changes. Yeah. I, I, I'm with you. I totally looking from the outside in. I, there's too much money there. There's too much yeah, influence. And no, I hear you. Well, Ryan, this has been fascinating conversation on a lot of different aspects, but, um, at the, you know, this, as I think you listen to the podcast, at least you listen to episodes. So, uh, it's time for your 10 quick questions. My brother, are you ready? I think, is this like a time thing? No, 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 no. But I, I, but it's, we've reached that point in the conversation. So, okay. (laughs) All right, here we go. Uh, number one, what is your morning drink of choice? Coffee black with sugar uh and i love it yeah okay sounds good now i'm gonna i usually don't ask this but i saw we're 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 able to see each other we're doing a zoom here and i saw you lift your glass um and we are both uh craft beer aficionados um so what is your current uh favorite beer out there or one of your favorite beers out there well i am a big fan of other half brewing uh that originate originated out of brooklyn um and now have a couple of different spots so I'm a big, big fan of of other half. Um, and luckily I was in Philly this weekend and they had their anniversary drop. And ironically, I was able to bring home some of those uh, to have. But uh, the other half is probably my go-to. Um, the easiest one is Neutral. I think what they're doing is fantastic. Great atmosphere um, and the, the ability to distribute all their beer is cool. But some great people working there and doing, doing a, a nice job with that. But I do love chasing beer places, and we do spend a lot of vacations going going out for uh, for beers. Beers well, important. I would like at some point to go on a beer chase with you. I think that would be a lot of fun. We'll have to make that happen sometime. Yes, <laughs> as long as it's not just all IPAs, because I know you like your IPAs. No, but, um... but I also love like great farmhouse ales. I love mm. uh, I love saisons. I, I, I'm a big collector of those. There's some great places that I go to in Philly. Um, that I bring bottles back and I and I store them and I'm a big red wine guy. Ooh. So, yeah, let's let's make that happen sometime. Yeah, I'm totally all about that. <laughs> awesome. All right, I know the answer to this, but I have to ask it. Who is a go-to musical artist or group for you? <laughs> That's an easy one, and and many people who know me know this answer. Uh, the Dave Matthews Band is my go-to, uh, and they've been my go-to since 1992. I've been chasing that band, and if yeah, I were to tell I- you how many times I've seen them. 
more more t more fingers and toes than you, me, and my wife have. That's the um, one thing I've noticed from following you on social media about, and I knew that you were a huge Dave, and I I am too. I grew up with Dave Matthews. I saw them a bunch of times when I was in high school. I was totally younger than what I should have been at some of those concerts, given the other people and what they were doing there. But um, what is it about Dave Matthews that you love? Ah, uh, I just remember when I first heard them back in the '90s. It was that bootleg trading thing, and. Yeah. I was into Grateful Dead. I was into Fish, and I was getting bootlegs and trading them with friends and people, and they came across as a different sound. You know, I mean, the horns, uh, the violin, and that drum with an uh, with an acoustic guitar. Nobody was doing it, and it was a beautiful, beautiful sound. And I just kind of enjoyed their jamming and their music, and how they would find a way to just drift off and then bring it back. And so. Every show is a different show. No one has repeated it. They haven't not repeated any show they've they've done. So it just became something that I always say he was going through points of his life that I could find a similarity to. So you know that young college, let's go, let's you know have a good time and all this, and to falling in love and then having a family. All of those pieces kind of I could. I could sense in his music and I was kind of going through those as well. And it was kind of neat to, to see a band for as long as I've seen them uh, do that. And of course, you know, my wife had to get into them. I was going to ask you, was she, was she a Dave Matthews fan before you met her? She, she was, but like, not like she is now. Not like so she's now. <laughs> we got engaged prior to a Dave show. Um, we have our wedding song was a Dave song. Um, you know, we, we spend a lot of trips uh, going to see shows and, and, you know, two night stands and all these things. And, you know, we brought our daughters to a Dave show at Bethel woods, which is the old uh, Woodstock. Um, yeah. We just, we chase and she's, I think if we were to put numbers onto something, she's probably close to about 50 uh, hitting 50 shows. So it's kind of neat to see her at those places where I feel very, very comfortable and, and have enjoyed, but, I don't know. I just love them. Uh, no, I, it is. It's great music. Absolutely yeah. great music. All right. Number three, what movie can you watch over and over again? And it never gets old. Uh, probably movie. Ooh, I'm a big Goonies fan. Oh, <laughs> I could great. watch that. Uh, and I could probably watch Shawshank at any point. Yeah. Uh, but I am a big Goonies fan. No, that's a good film. Well, Shawshank's yeah. a great film too. Absolutely. Yeah. What's your favorite sports movie? My favorite sports movie. Oof. I don't know if I have one. Okay. Yeah. Sports movie. Oh, I don't know. There hasn't really been a good soccer movie, has there? I Not that yeah. I'm aware of. They're all rubbish. The documentaries are good, but yeah. I don't know. I I don't think I know of any okay. that I no, really watch. Enough. Fair enough. All right. What's the last thing that you read? Um, Fire and Slice is a book about pizza. I'm a big pizza fan, um, as you can tell from my physique between beer and pizza. Um, but I have a pizza oven, and I am trying to perfect, um, you know, making pizza. And so I, I kind of am a – I get crazy. I get into something, and I'm in it. And yeah. then two years later, I lose interest. But, yeah. Um, yeah, pizza right now, I watch videos and YouTube. and That's awesome. Yeah, I like pizza. So, what's your go-to if I'm coming over and you make making a pizza? We're making pizza, all right, and you're coming over, so we'll have a beer. We'll have a little. Yeah, let's do that. Let's have a little like saison, um, some type of 
Belgian maybe, and we'll make some pizza, uh, a little Neapolitan. We'll make our own, and you can make whatever you want. I mean, that's the, that's the fun part about it is I have this oven that you make small pizzas and you can put anything on it. But I go, mine is, I make my own sauce, and it is mozzarella, some basil, and that sauce. And uh, That's all you need. If you got good ingredients, man, that's all you need, right? It's unbelievable. Yeah? Sounds I'll eat great. It every, I can eat it every day. Right, <laughs> I'm that sick. Well, that's this is perfect because question number five is, what is your favorite pizza topping? <laughs> well, oh, man. So I'm pr- – can I cheat on this? I like yeah, plain. Yeah. I'm a plain, plain pizza. And and literally, I could eat pizza every day. I, I ate it like three times this weekend. Um, but plain. But So if I had to pick a topping, if this is not cheating, I would do the the pepperoni cups. You know, the pepperoni that cup up and they get the grease and oil in there. Um, I would do that with hot honey. Okay. Yeah. And so like nice thick pizza, maybe like a tomato pie with, uh, yeah pepperoni hot honey if i had to pick a topping but if i if i was if i was ordering a pizza i'd get a large plain pie to go please there you go there yeah. you go we are sometimes man after well, my own heart well done so that way it's nice Ooh. and crispy yeah absolutely uh laying on the beach or going for a hike oh that's an unfair question because they're both great i'm i'm freaked out by snakes right now i have okay. not been in the woods for a while because some snake encounters and i'm a, i'm not very tough um, but I love the beach because I love laying, laying on the beach and surfing and riding my longboard on the beach. And so I, you know, we go on a trip every summer down to the beach with some friends and I, that's probably my favorite spot right now, especially yeah. since it's gray and ugly outside. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. All right. Beach. Okay. okay. Well, we've kind of already talked about this, but I'm asking you anyways, you've invited me over for dinner. What are you making? <laughs> well, we'll start with a little drink to prep, right? Yeah. And uh, I make a mean chicken parm. Ooh, okay. So are you into that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would, I'd ask there are, you. There are very few things I'm not into when it comes to food, Ryan. So. Okay. Well, I would ask you first. But, I mean, if you wanted pizza, we could do if, – if it was you coming over to hang out and, you know, drink a couple beers and have a good laugh, listen to music, maybe pizza. If you're coming over and we're going to still laugh, drink some beers, but it's going to be a little bit more formal, chicken parm, some pasta – I make a great sauce. Sounds good. Yeah. Sounds really good. Come over right. for the weekend. We can yeah, have Friday. The whole... <laughs> oh, man. We should have done that during the World Cup when the World Cup was on. That would have been good fun. Um, okay. What is a dream vacation destination? Ooh, dream vacation destination. Uh, I would, I'm going to cheat. I would love to see, I would love to take my kids around the U.S. and hit all major parts of the U.S. Um, there's some beautiful cities and some areas that we have not been in. I would love for them to see that um, in their lifetime. Um, and I'd love to to see that with them. Um, so, I, you know, if I were to stay within the, the U.S., I would probably say something like that. But if I were to venture out, my daughter wants to go to Paris for some strange reason. And then um, my other daughter would love to go to Greece. So mm. maybe in Italy, Greece, France yeah. trip. Um, but we, we are planning on heading to England in 2024 um, with their club team. Um, so I'm pretty excited about that because I've done that before with some other teams, and that's a great experience. Yeah, yeah, but not a dream is. because their food is horrible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's getting better because, 
But, Hopefully you know, Georgie isn't listening to this. Yeah, she'll be quick to, to reply for sure. Oh. Uh, all right. What is something you're afraid of? I take it snakes maybe yeah, a little bit, snakes. huh? Uh, uh, okay. Snakes are a big thing. Um, and if it was anything else, it would be losing time. Oh, what a great answer. Yeah, how about it? And yeah. the older you get, man, that's uh, – I was just listening to David Crosby's – you know, he died here recently and yeah. he had that song called um, – oh, what was the name of it? But it, it was essentially – uh, talking about how time is uh, a monetary value, and man, his lyrics were just like ripping me up. I was like, "Yeah, hit right, man. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely. tough." All right, last question: What job, other than one that you've had, would you love to have? Ooh, jeez, other than I than I've had, yeah, hmm, or like something like the men's national coach. I mean, was that well, something you'd want to do? No, I would want the women, the women's okay. national team, because they're way better. <laughs> um, I, you know, dream job, uh, being the kit man at Man United uh, would go. be pretty, pretty sweet gig. A uh, uh, dream job, I don't know, maybe, maybe being a captain of a yacht. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, uh, Dave Matthews, guitar tuner. I was gonna say that'd be a good job, wouldn't it? <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, I don't know. I would probably do a lot of different things. I never expected to be a teacher, so, um, but maybe a German teacher. Oh yeah, that it's a great profession, and we need people right now. So. <laughs> awesome Deal. oh man ryan it was such a pleasure getting to catch up with you talk about things i've never i've always wanted to talk to you about never had the opportunity because like you said when we're at work it's man we don't get enough time to breathe let alone right. have a good laugh right head um, down and go to it right yeah exactly right but i i want to thank you so much for coming up on the on the front porch and talking about some tough stuff i mean your job is not easy and i wanted people to know that and hear it straight from you and there's a lot of people like you out there in, in the educational profession that are doing great things and i will say that um you know i've had a lot of your soccer players in my classes some i had all four years go through german and they are consistently they've always been some of the nicest kids in our school and i credit a lot of that to you outside of you know outside of the classroom so i i wanted to say that to you yeah um, thank looking you. back over that. the years it really it truly is i know when i have a girl soccer player in my class i always do it, yeah, I'm, and I'm grateful. They are phenomenal kids. So that's the the light at the end of the tunnel of the of a tough day. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Ryan, thanks so much, man. I really appreciate it. I look forward to uh, coming over for some pizza sometime. Yeah, let me know. <laughs> I appreciate it, Doug. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Doug's Front Porch, a conversational podcast with your host, Doug Maidenford. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast from. Five stars only, please. Follow along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just look for Doug's Front Porch. Also, please feel free to tell all of your friends about the show, and I'll see you all next time on My Front Porch. Music.